Please join with me in prayer. Father, I pray that You would help us to love each other well. To love each other according to the commandments of Your Scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You will remember from last week we are studying the topic of love. In verses 9-21, through 21, Paul is telling Christians how, he, how God expects them to love. So, in verses 9-13, through 13, he tells us how to love each other in the church. In verses 14-21, through 21, he tells us how to love those outside the church, especially those who are acting as our enemies. So the first thing that Paul tells us is that we are to love each other in the church just like families love each other. So as Houston just read, verse uh, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. In other words, we're to love each other like we are family. We're to love each other like we are related to each other. But that presents a problem because many families don't do a very good job of loving each other. I was told last, uh, last Sunday that Thanksgiving Day is one of the most dangerous days of the entire year for police officers because of domestic violence incidents. And apparently what happens is families get together, they eat their meal, and then they spend the rest of the afternoon drinking beer. And as a few beers turn into many beers, the unspoken grievances in the families begin to be spoken. Things are said, and things then get out of hand. The police are not called right away because, well, after all, it's family. But by the time the police get notified, the situation can be quite out of control and be quite dangerous for everyone. At my first church out of seminary, I got to see firsthand how dysfunctional families can be when it comes to loving each other or not loving each other as the case may be. I was about to conduct my first ever funeral and I had stepped into the sanctuary to see, make sure everything was where it ought to be. It was about 15, 20 minutes before the service started. Just was going to peek in, see how things were going. Um, and the family, meanwhile, had gathered in the fellowship hall. All of a sudden, the funeral director came rushing in and he, he said, you've got to get back here right away. We've got a situation. So um, when I arrived in the fellowship hall, the mother and the father of the child that had died were yelling at each other, screaming at each other. And their respective families had lined up the, the mother's family behind the mother, the father's family behind the father, and they were ready to rumble. I mean, things were uh, volatile. And... Um, what had happened was the mother and the father had a very nasty divorce some years previous and they had a lot of pent-up bitterness towards each other and they decided to let that pent-up bitterness flow towards each other 15 minutes before their child's funeral. 
Um, so I stepped right in between them. <laughs> uh, thankfully, uh, they did not all attack me. So uh, you can see how Paul's admonition to love each other like your own family can be problematic. The truth is, it is difficult to love other people, uh, whether they be in your family or not. And relating to each other within the context of a family can be especially difficult because of the closeness and longevity of the relationships uh, in a family um, in a family relationship. There are many opportunities for conflict that present themselves. Apart from Christ, we are sinful and self-centered people. As I was telling the children in terms of the definition of sin, and when you put many people who are sinful and self-centered together in relationships, people are going to act out sinfully against one another. Even among Christians, our sinfulness will be acted out, unfortunately, against one another. James in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, James confirms what I'm saying. James speaks about the poison that can come forth from our tongues in James chapter 3. And he says, With our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come cursing and blessing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It's not surprising that so many of Paul's commands to the church are commands relating to the fact that we should be quick to forgive each other. That we should be patient with one another. And the reason he's always saying be forgiving and be patient with one another is because he knows that we will so badly fail in our efforts to love one another well. Colossians 3 is a classic passage in this regard. We read Colossians 3 and we tend to swoon because it's so beautiful the things it's saying as it talks about love. But if you listen closely, Paul is speaking about how we are to treat another person after that person has sinned against us. So listen to uh, Paul in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." We're always surprised when a, a good Christian sins against us. But Paul takes it for granted. He doesn't excuse it, but he knows it will happen. Because Christians are called to love each other in these close relationships over a long period of time. The fact that we're sinners means that we will from time to time, unfortunately, sin against each other. So then the question is, how can we best avoid sinning against each other? Because it's never right when we do it. Or more to the point, how do we love each other well? 
Paul pointed us in the last Paul pointed us in the right direction in the last phrase that I quoted from Colossians. He said, "As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." So what Paul does is he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He points us to Christ as our motive for forgiving others. In other words, we are to consider how Jesus forgave us so that we can be enabled to forgive others who sin against us. And we can expand that that thought out to consider how Jesus loves us so that we can be better enabled by His grace to love one another well. Consider for a moment all the ways that you have sinned against Jesus Christ. Consider for a moment all the ways that you continue to sin against Him. Think of the ways you have preferred yourself or things that are displeasing to Him more than Him. Think of the idols that you cherish in your heart when Jesus should be the only King of your heart. Think of the ways that you have told Him no. Maybe not verbally, but by your actions and your choices, you essentially looked Him in the face and said, no. Think of those ways that you've sinned against Him. Yet think of the ways that Jesus continues to love you. You know, He, not for even a moment, has turned His love away from you. His love for you has no limits. You cannot sin beyond His ability for Him to love you. His love has neither brim nor bottom. Even when you are not feeling love for Him, His love for you never changes. I love what Samuel Rutherford says. He says, In our fluctuations of feeling, it is well to remember that Jesus admits no change in His affections. Your heart is not the compass Jesus Jesus saileth by, as if He were the captain of a ship. Jesus has loved His own from eternity past. If you belong to Him, it is only because He first loved you. And He continues to love you in spite of yourself. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8. through Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What sent Him to the cross? His great and unstoppable love for us. From eternity past, Christ has committed Himself to you. When mankind rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, Christ was determined to come into this world to be your Savior. On the night that He was betrayed by Judas, you know what He was doing before He was betrayed? He was praying for you. Jesus first prayed for His twelve disciples in John 17, and then He turned His attention to us 
who would believe um, or who would who would become Christians later. So in John 17, verses 20 through 24, listen to His prayers for you centuries before you were born. Jesus says uh, in His prayer to the Father, I do not ask for these only, talking about His disciples, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. The glory that You have given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and You in Me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that You sent Me and love them even as You loved Me. Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am, to see My glory that You have given Me because You love Me before the foundation of the world. And when you became a Christian, it was because Christ was calling you by name. Even though you may not have heard His voice, He was calling you by name. John chapter 10, that great passage describing Jesus as our uh, Good Shepherd. Jesus says, "...the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out." And then later in that same chapter, He spoke of how freely He laid down His life for His sheep that we might be saved from our sins. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. The Lord Jesus loves you. And so in order to love others well, we must look to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and continues to love us so well. What will it look like if we indeed are loving each other well? Well, first of all, biblical love means putting others first. Look at the second half of verse 10. He says, Outdo one another in showing honor. When one Christian sees another Christian, they are looking at a person whom Christ loves deeply and in whom Christ has taken up residence in their soul. And so when you honor them, when you honor another Christian, you are honoring Christ Himself. The opposite is also true. When you disregard or when you put down another Christian, you dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So Christians, are in their love one for another, are to outdo one another in showing honor. Christians are to actively seek to honor other Christians above themselves. You know how Colossians, I mean Philippians 2 verses 3 through uh, 3 and 4 reads, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but but in humility count yourselves more significant. I'm sorry, count others That's a big error. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That doesn't mean that you're to put yourself down as the lowest of all people because you yourself are loved by Christ. But you are to seek to honor 
other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ loves them and has made their heart His home. Christians are to be seeking out ways that they can out-honor and out-serve their fellow Christian. Secondly, biblical love means being zealously committed to other Christians. And I think this is what Paul means when he gives these short, quick admonitions. It's almost like he's firing a machine gun of commands in verses 11 and 12. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I think at first glance it appears Paul's only talking about our personal relationship with God. But upon closer inspection, it seems clear, at least clear to me, that he's speaking of our relationship with other Christians. Because in verses 9 all the way through 21, he's talking about love. Verses 9 through 13, how we love other Christians. Verses 14 through 21, how we love um, even our enemies. And so I think within the context, when he's talking about being patient or not being sorry, not being slothful or lazy in our zeal or being fervent in our spirit and serving the Lord, I think he has our relationship with other Christians at the center of what he's getting at. In other words, I think he's telling us in verse eleven not to be lazy in our zeal for our service toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are to be fervent in the way that we love each other. And that we are to serve them. We are to serve each other as if we were serving the Lord Himself. Because indeed, when we are loving each other, when we are serving each other, we are serving Christ Himself. In verse 12, therefore, We are to hope the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be patient with them if they are going through hard times. And we are to continually be in prayer for them. So that's what I think he means when he says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer as you love your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 13 makes it real clear that in verses 11 and 12, Paul has um, this idea of meeting the needs of other Christians as his focus. Because in verse 13, he continues with that same theme. His point in verse 13 is that biblical love will express itself in costly ways. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In other words, Paul says that real love will put its money where its mouth is. We are to contribute to the needs of the saints. If you see a need, seek to meet it. And don't just meet needs as they arise. But the sense here, uh, what Paul's saying in verse 13, is to... um, to be proactive in seeking their needs and get to know each other so that you can best meet each other's needs. I think that's what he means when he says, seek to show hospitality. If someone needs 
hospitality, someone needs a place to stay, if they need um, a meal or something like this, then show it. But in showing the hospitality, what you're also doing is you're getting to know that brother or sister so much better. You're getting to know what their needs are. And they are getting to know what your needs are so that they are able to best meet your needs and yours and theirs. Paul's picture of love here in verses 9 through 13, even though we've only looked at verses 10 through 13 this morning, it is glorious. But it's also commanded but it's very difficult to attain. And so we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus' love for us so that we will be able in turn to give the kind of love that God expects us to give to one another. I want to end with an illustration. It's an illustration that I've used before, I think a long time ago. It's an illustration I saw from John MacArthur. He says, if you have a big bag of marbles... Well, you have a certain unity because you have one bag of marbles and all those marbles are pushed together and packed together. But that which binds these marbles together is the unity of the container. In other words, it's something outside and external that holds the bag together or holds the marbles together. You tear the bag and what happens to the unity? of the marbles. Well, they spill all over the place. It's destroyed. The marbles escape. But on the other hand, if you have a magnet and you put that magnet in the middle of of, um, metal shavings, then what will happen is all those metal shavings will adhere to one another. Instead of an outward external force that's holding everything together. There's an internal force that is holding everything together. The shavings are pulled together because they are pulled together by the same internal force. And that's what we're to be as Christians. Not a collection of marbles sitting in the same building once a week on Sunday morning, but a church family that sticks together because of our common love for Jesus Christ, our common love for His Gospel, and our common love for each other. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that You would help us to have this supernatural love that Christ promises to His church, that Christ prayed for so many centuries ago, that Christ is intent on seeing worked out Uh, within the life of His body of which He is the head. God, we repent of all the ways that we love ourselves too much. We repent of all the ways that we avert our eyes away, away from needs that are clearly in front of us. We turn our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. We remember how much He loves us. Now help us by Your grace to love each other and love each other well for His sake. We ask in His name. Amen.